Welcome to the Walk Worthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church, located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray that this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Well, thank you. Jonathan and your team, and for all of those who are serving among us this morning, we appreciate your service and the great amount of work that you uh, put into serving the Lord here at Hespler. It's good to be back with you this morning after a little over two years of seemingly wandering in the desert. Jan and I have... uh, come to the conclusion that this is where the Lord wants us to be. And I know, I know, some of you are going to say, what took you so long? Maybe I'm a slow learner. Well, if you're anything like us, you are finding that there's very little on television that's worth watching these days. Uh, Years ago, there was a documentary program called The Locator. You can still get it online. The Locator is a man by the name of Troy Dunn whose organization tracks down and reunites families. Children, perhaps, who uh, were abandoned by their father and have never uh, have no memory of him, or perhaps a mother that uh, left them or put them up for adoption because of circumstances. Whatever it is, his organization uh, comes to their Aid And many of the stories have really happy endings, some of them not so, but most of them have happy endings. One of the stories that comes to mind in connection with what we're going to be talking about this morning is that of a young man who, uh, by the time the story is done, he's 25 years old. And he's never met his father. He asked his mother many times during his growing up years about his father, but she never really gave him a straight answer. And so by this time, he's 25 years old, and he engages Troy Dunn, the locator, to find his father. It turns out that his mother and father met while they were in the military. They had a short relationship and broke up. And sometime after uh, breaking up, she discovered that she was pregnant and for some reason decided that she was not going to tell the father. So by the time the young man is 25 years old, he engages Troy to find his father, which he does. And the day comes in which uh, they are to be reunited. Now, understand that in the intervening years, his father has married and has three teenage children. And so you can understand the shock that it was to him to discover that he had a son that he never knew about. The day came that they were to be reunited and Troy Dunn takes the young man out to the house Uh, his uh, father's house, and they meet outside, and there's a lot of hugging and tears and catching up and, uh, and talking together. And then his father takes him into the house to meet his wife and three uh, teenage children, as well as the uh, grandmother of this young man. And uh, what becomes evident is that this family bears no hesitation, no ill feelings. Uh, They welcome this 
son and brother into their family with great zeal and love and, and joy, and they embrace him as one of theirs. And you're kind of saying to yourself, I wonder what's different about this family that they can act in such a way. And as the camera panned around the room in the house where they were meeting, it became evident as to what the difference was. For there on the wall was a text, and the text said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I understood how they rejoiced in this reunion, this reconciliation with this young man on that day. And that's our subject this morning, is God's grace in reconciliation as we continue our series in Genesis. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 33, we'll read it uh, before we consider it uh, together. So Genesis chapter 3, and I'll read the entire chapter. It's only 20 verses. Genesis 33, then beginning at verse 1. Jacob lifted up his eyes and look, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you, Jacob? And uh, Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Likewise, Le- uh, Leah and her children drew near and bowed down, and last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me cleave with you, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram 
and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Eloha Israel. Let's pray before we continue. Lord God, as we come to this text this morning, we are in awe of your grace extended over and over again. We thank you for your grace and reconciliation. We thank you, having studied before the history of Esau and Jacob, that we come to this passage this morning, and we're praying that you would make it relevant and appropriate and powerful in our own lives as you take these words and apply them by your Holy Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we learn in our passage that reconciliation is made possible through humility and love that are rooted in God's grace. Reconciliation is made possible through humility and love that are rooted in God's grace. You'll remember that when Jacob was at Bethel in chapter 28, God had promised that he would give him the land on which he was lying, that he would be with Jacob and keep him wherever he went, and that he would bring him back to this land. And now God fulfills that promise, directing Jacob back to Canaan, to the land of his ancestors and his family relations. And so Jacob packs up all his possessions and family that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go back to Canaan. But the past, you see, has a way of catching up with you. As we heard from Sean a couple of weeks ago, it caught up with Jacob at the river Jabbok, and it catches up with him now in our chapter. Now he must face Esau for the first time in 20 years. He could have kept running, I suppose, as he had before, but he didn't. After wrestling with God all night at the river Jabbok, Jacob limps across the river and in our chapter, lifting up his eyes, he saw Esau coming with 400 men. Now clearly this sight unnerves Jacob. It seems to him that Esau is bent on exacting uh, the vengeance that he had threatened before. But as Sean pointed out, that was not the case at all. Instead, Jacob receives from Esau acceptance and affection. And in this meeting, we see, first of all, that reconciliation is initiated by inward renewal. Reconciliation is initiated by inward renewal. Reconciliation is a powerful force for most people. We don't generally like living in tension with fractured relationships. We have this inner longing for restoration, for unity, for happiness. The last time they were together, Jacob was determined to get the blessing from his father such that he went to extraordinary lengths to deceive Isaac and defraud defraud Esau out of his birthright. And as a result, Esau hated Jacob so much that he threatened to kill him. 
Now we're meet, they're meeting for the first time after that episode. Jacob, the offender, is about to meet Esau, the offended. And what we see here in this process of reconciliation is that reconciliation is initiated by a renewed attitude. Reconciliation is initiated by a renewed attitude. Up to now, Jacob hadn't worried about meeting Esau again. He could patch things up. He could buy him off with presents. After all, he's wealthy now. But when he sees Esau approaching with a small army, Jacob is clearly suspicious about what to expect. And so not knowing how this will turn out, in addition to earlier dividing up his entire company, he now also divides up his family into four groups. Two servants with their children, then Leah with her children, and then Rachel, his favorite, and Joseph at the rear, the place of, I suppose, greatest safety. And Jacob, it says in verse 3, himself went on before them. Notice that previously Jacob had stayed behind. You see that in chapter 32, verses 16 and verse uh, 18. But now he takes the lead. He's living up to his new name, Israel. He is a leader now, leading the way and protecting his family. Jacob didn't know what was in Esau's heart. And Esau didn't know what to expect from Jacob. But quickly, it became apparent that both brothers longed for reconciliation. We need to appreciate the enormity of this moment. Two brothers meeting for the first time after 20 years of estrangement. This is climactic. How will it turn out? What's going to happen? Thankfully, this time, Jacob is not out to defraud his brother. Rather, he takes the low place, it says, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. And while no words at this point are exchanged, the brother's actions speak louder than words. You see, taking the low place is the best attitude you can take in the process of reconciliation. Bowing here, as in also verses 6 and 7, is an act of contrition. It's an act of repentance. Previously, Jacob had been used to taking the high place when he defrauded his older brother out of his birthright. But now Jacob takes the low place before Isaac. Previously, I, uh, before Esau, I should say. Previously, Isaac had told Jacob, and I quote, that nations would bow down to him in chapter 27. But now Jacob bows down to Esau. He's not used to bowing down to others. Be sure of that. But he had to bow down to God. First at Bethel. And then at the river Jabbok. And now he bows before Esau as a slave before his master. This is a radically renewed attitude. This is humility, you see. This is submission. More than that, it's contrition and repentance. The lesser bowing to the greater, the servant to the Lord. 
Jacob is surely a changed man. His encounter with God at Jabbok seems to have changed him both spiritually and physically. His permanent limp prevents him from ever running again. It reminds him that he has met God face to face. Now he's a changed man with a new identity. No longer Jacob, but Israel. And accordingly, he takes a new posture before Esau, demonstrating inward renewal in a new attitude. Now note this, a new attitude is a prerequisite for reconciliation. Changing from dominance to subservience. Changing from taking away, as in Jacob's deceit, to giving back, as in Jacob's gifts. Words don't express what actions can and do. And while some people find regret and repentance hard to express in words, it's even harder to express in actions. To bow down literally or metaphorically before someone whom we have offended and take that low place is hard. It strikes hard against our pride and self-justification. And the question in Jacob's mind must surely have been, how will Esau react? Will he now carry out his threat to kill me? Reconciliation then is initiated first by a renewed attitude. And notice also reconciliation is initiated by a renewed heart in verse 4. A new heart, renewed heart. Jacob has no idea how Esau will react. Indeed, he has every reason to think that this meeting is not going to work out well. Perhaps Esau would react, would, would exact revenge now by harming Jacob's family or by taking his possessions as recompense for the birthright he had lost before. It sure looked that way to Jacob. Perhaps Esau still wants to prove his entitlement to their father's blessing as the older son. Perhaps 20 years had reinforced and exacerbated Esau's hatred and desire for revenge. But by God's grace, such is not the case. In fact, instead of evil intent, Esau expresses affection an eagerness for reunion, unconditional acceptance, a spontaneous act of vulnerability in a renewed heart. Esau is not out for revenge and certainly not for murder. Rather, he demonstrates this unqualified affection for his long-lost brother. Notice the contrast between the greetings of these two brothers. Jacob greets Esau like a servant to his master, but Esau greets Jacob like a brother to his brother. First, he ran to meet Jacob. This in contrast to Jacob's slow limp. There's an evident eagerness in Esau to meet Jacob. His running to Jacob contrasts with Jacob's slow approach, bowing himself to the ground. So first, uh, Esau runs to meet Jacob, and then second, he embraced Jacob. In contrast, Jacob just 
came near, verse 3 says. And third, Esau fell on his neck and kissed Jacob. An ironical reminder of how Jacob had kissed Isaac in chapter 27. And lastly, they wept. This is genuine affection. This is softness of heart. This is a demonstration of true reconciliation. A changed attitude, you see, and a changed heart. Both of these changes are necessary for reconciliation to take place. The heart is the center of our emotions. Jesus said that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, and so forth. That's where broken relationships start, in the heart. Violent emotions that go unchecked unchecked can lead to behavior as egregious as murder. So let me ask you, what about your heart? If you're a Christian and you hold bitter feelings against someone, then you need to examine your own heart first. Whenever we experience fractured relationship, we need to ensure that we are not holding bitterness in our own hearts because bitterness eats away like a cancer, which if untreated, can kill you spiritually and emotionally. Hebrews 12.15 says this, See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness manifests itself in your attitude to others. Bitterness not only eats away at you on the inside, but it affects everyone else around you as well. Now as believers, we are united together by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is grieved and his work is quenched among us when our relationships are severed or distant or bitter. I know that reconciliation with someone who has hurt you or whom you have hurt isn't easy. Because it's not easy to take the low place. So I'm not trivializing the process of reconciliation. It includes repentance and confession, obviously, and forgiveness and and, uh, trust and all of those things. But what I'm saying is that the process starts with you, with your attitude, with your heart. Apparently Esau had a renewed heart. He's dealt with his bitter feelings against Jacob. Thoughts of murder have changed to feelings of affection. Instead of anger, he exudes warmth and love, embracing and kissing Jacob. The tension is released, and they wept together. There's really nothing quite like love and tears to bring down the walls of disagreement and separation. Tears are good for your own soul. They somehow ameliorate your hurt 
and sadness and bitterness. So this is the first thing we learn in this narrative. Reconciliation is initiated by inward renewal. Renewal of one's attitude and renewal of one's heart. The second thing we learn is this. Reconciliation is expressed in outward actions. Reconciliation is expressed in outward actions. It's expressed by acknowledging God's grace in verses 5 to 7. Rarely is personal reconciliation limited to one-on-one. Usually it involves others, typically family members. And here Esau extends grace to the entire family. When Esau lifted up his eyes, verse 5 says, and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Esau takes the initiative to inquire about the rest of Jacob's family in this act of reconciliation. Who are these with you? This is a very normal question when meeting family members for the first time, especially in the context of reconciliation. Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now, Jacob still does not address Esau as his brother, preferring to emphasize his subservience to him, retaining this formal relationship of master and servant. And we ask ourselves, is this because he felt awkward or embarrassed? Or is this because he wants to emphasize his change of attitude, no longer seeking to dominate but to serve? Importantly, he attributes his family to a gift of God's grace. Jacob attributes his family to a gift of God's grace. That's exactly what it was. A gift of God's grace. One by one, the various parties in Jacob's large family draw near to Esau. First the servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, with their children. Then Leah with her children. And finally Rachel with her child, Joseph. And they all bowed down before Esau in verses 6 and 7. In an act of respect and family unity. Reconciliation, you see, is expressed in outward action. First, by acknowledging God's grace, and then second, by making restitution, verses 8 to 11. Everything that is happening seems to be overwhelming for Esau. He's flabbergasted, in fact. He can't comprehend what's going on. He says in verse 8, what do you mean by all this company that I met? He's dumbfounded by the extent of Jacob's company and the massive quantity of gifts they brought from Jacob back in chapter 32. It all appears to be over the top. He can't comprehend it all. And Jacob answers. Here's Jacob's answer to Esau's question. What do you mean by all this company? Jacob answers to find favor in the sight of my Lord. That's what this is about, Esau. It's about restitution. It's about demonstrating to you that I am deeply sorry for what I did when I stole your birthright. It's about showing to you my repentance in action, not just words. I want to find favor in your sight, Esau. That's what this is about. And as a show of goodwill, I want to repay you. 
It appears that Jacob in some way wants to repay the blessing that he had stolen from Esau those many years ago. In a gracious response, Esau says this, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. He's saying, despite what you stole from me, I'm well provided for. I don't need or want your gifts. I have enough. Esau evidently bears no revenge. He wants no recompense. He isn't looking for financial reward. What he wants is a relationship with his brother. Jacob persists, though. No, please, he says, if I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you've accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, that is Esau, and he took it. Meeting Esau is likened by Jacob to seeing the face of God. The face of God that he had seen at Bethel in chapter 28 and which he had just seen at the river Jabbok in chapter 32. And so the blessing that he had received from God there, he wants to extend now to his brother And seeing Esau for the first time in 20 years, he sees a reflection of the grace of God in Esau's face. Just as he sought a blessing from God at the Jabbok, so now he seeks Esau's favor, Esau's blessing. And in an act of pure grace, Esau accepts the gifts as a demonstration of his acceptance of his brother as a token that all is restored between them, as a measure of goodwill. And Jacob wants to find favor in Esau's sight and to bless Esau, and Esau accepts Jacob's gifts on that basis. Would it were so that all broken relationships were thus restored? That the offender would be so constrained to seek the favor of the offended one. That such brokenness would be manifested by all parties whose relationships have been broken. That such humility and subservience would be shown by all offenders. And I appeal to anyone of you here today who has cut off someone else's ear and heart by your behavior and words. Bring it to an end now. Do what you have to do to restore the relationship. Start by showing your utter humility, your shame, your brokenness, and your repentance for ever having caused the severance in the first place. Seek the forgiveness and favor of the other person and pray for God's grace to overflow into the lives of all the parties and extended families thus affected. It can be done. It has been done. It was done by Jacob and Esau. But it all starts with you. Your heart. And your attitude. Reconciliation then. 
is an attitude is an, is initiated by inward renewal and is expressed in outward actions first by acknowledging God's grace and second by expressing by by making restitution and thirdly by acting in kindness reconciliation is expressed by acting in kindness verses 12 to 20 Esau acts kindly in two ways First, he offers to lead the way home, verse 12. Let's journey on our way, he says, and I will go ahead of you. This is a genuinely kind gesture gesture on the part of Esau, a desire to go home together to make their reunion public to, to the rest of the family. His desire for togetherness, for fellowship with Jacob, a kind and practical expression of permanent reunion. But in contrast, Jacob isn't ready for this. Often there are some practical hiccups in reconciliations. Perhaps things were moving too fast for Jacob, I don't know. In any event, he makes the excuse that the children and animals can't walk at their pace. Jacob said to Esau, let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Now at face value, this response seems perfectly logical, doesn't it? But there is a hint of the old Jacob here. There is a hint of his suspicion of Esau. Mistrust, perhaps. Mistrust is very common in those who themselves have been deceptive. Whatever the reason. Jacob refuses to accept Esau's kindness. And then Esau's second act of kindness is to provide protection. Verse 15, Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. It seems that Esau brought these 400 men with him not to attack Jacob, but to protect him on his homeward journey. Jacob said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. You see Jacob's continual insistence on his own way. He doesn't even accept Esau's offer to have some of his people travel with Jacob and his entourage. Again, Esau concedes to Jacob's resistance. It seems that all along, Jacob had other plans. And so instead of accepting his word and following behind Esau and his men at a slower pace, Jacob doesn't follow Esau at all. Esau returned that day, verse 16 says, on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. So instead of going south to Seir with Esau, Jacob goes north to Succoth, where he settles down, evidently, in our verses. Builds himself a house and shelters for his livestock. And the big question, of course, that we ask is why? Why didn't Jacob follow Esau? And furthermore, why didn't Jacob tell Esau the truth about not following him? It seems a shame, doesn't it, that after all that has happened... 
after his meeting with God, after his reconciliation with Esau, after Esau's willingness to forgive and move on with their lives, that the two brothers now go their separate ways. Well, there have been many reasonable guesses made as to why this is. The one that I think is the most likely is that God had told him to go to Canaan, the land of his fathers, not to Edom. That's what God had told him in chapter 31, verse 3. Seir, where Esau lived in Edom, was not his home. Canaan was. And so to follow Esau would have led him away from Canaan, the land to which God had promised to bring him back. If this is the case, then Jacob was right not to go with Esau. But the excuse he gave was deceptive and wrong. Now, before you condemn Jacob for this, let me ask you, have you done the same thing? In, in issues like this, have you skewed the truth rather than face further conflict? Or have you not revealed your true reason in order pre- to preserve peace? Now, I know that sometimes it's not wise to reveal everything that's in your heart. But lying is not the way to do it. What is clear is that Jacob has his own agenda. For eventually he moves on from Succoth and settles in Shechem, where he erects an altar and calls it El Eloha Israel. Shechem was the place, you'll remember, where Abraham first heard God's promise about the land in chapter 12. Now that's where Jacob settles in Shechem. Yes, he's back in Canaan, the land of his ancestors, but not in Beersheba, I might point out, among his family, as God had directed him. And as we're going to learn, probably next week, Shechem wasn't the greatest place for Jacob. In this meeting then, between Jacob and Esau, we see two dramatically changed men. In Jacob, humility replaces arrogance, submission replaces dominance, and giving replaces taking. In Esau, compassion replaces murder, warmth replaces coldness, and acceptance replaces rejection. Wrestling with God at the Jabbok, changed Jacob. And somehow Esau has changed as well over the course of time. By his grace, God can change us too. Our character, our attitude, our hearts, our actions. Has this perhaps happened in your life? Most importantly, have you been reconciled to God through the death of his son? That's the grace of God in action for sinners who believe. We see this being lived out by Jacob, who now attributes everything to God's grace, his children and his wealth, everything that we have and are, we must attribute to God's grace. 
By God's grace, Jacob sees Esau now not as a brother to be extorted, but a brother who reflects the grace of God. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And though traces of the old Jacob still remain, by God's grace, Jacob finds his way home to Canaan and settles there. So on the one hand, this episode leaves us on a high note. The twin brothers are reconciled. And Jacob, the one who ran away, comes back to his homeland with a new identity and a new dependence on God. And yet, on the other hand, this episode leaves us a little uneasy. Jacob has once more separated from Esau, and the future in Shechem is not bright. In fact, it will be a massive low point in Jacob's life. And on this note, we come to the end of this Padanaram episode in Jacob's life. Notice that this episode is bookended by two altars. It started at Bethel, where he set up an altar of stones to commemorate that wonderful meeting with God in a vision, where he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now in Shechem he builds another altar. Which he calls El Eloha Israel. The ever faithful God of his fathers is Israel's God. The God he had met at Bethel and again at the river Jabbok. Is indeed Jacob's God. And if you were to ask, if I were to ask you today to choose which of Esau and Jacob is the hero of this episode, who would it be? Jacob? I don't think so. I think it's Esau. I mean, who knew? Who would have guessed? How Esau would have received Jacob back into his life as he did, reunited with his twin after all those years and all that animosity. And in this we see the grace of God in reconciliation. Remember our thesis. Reconciliation is made possible through humility and love that are rooted in God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we are humbled in the face of this text. For it challenges us as to our own hearts and minds, our own attitudes and our own affections. As to whether we could do this, whether we could bow down to others whom we have offended. Would you, by your grace, impress this, the lessons of this narrative on our hearts and minds today? And may we go forth from this place renewed in attitude and heart, taking the low place, being servants to one another. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.